0: Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series join us this week for second Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 with Pastor John King we're going to be uh, second Thessalonians starting chapter three today in verses one through five I do want to say a little quick a quick note about next Sunday's uh, food and fellowship I uh, understand it is Super Bowl Sunday but uh, we are going to also celebrate uh, Tim's birthday Tim Bailey's birthday so if you guys want to do something special for that, but uh, in any event, and also uh, James Clender, he's not here with us today. He turns what forty-eight today. So. I'm sure he's glad that I told all of it you. It just that feels that. like a man. But we'll celebrate. Celebrate. Keep him in your prayers. Celebration. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, you know, we got. I think after today, we have one more message, and then we'll. Uh, We'll have a, a break on the marriage retreat weekend, and then we will start 1 uh, uh, Timothy the following week. So, if some of you that have asked for the, uh, the Bible journals have been giving them out this morning. Just come see me if you signed up for one. But uh, uh, just a quick recap from last week we, uh, we saw that uh, Paul was really helping us, I think, last week, trace our steps to the cross. There was a lot of confusion regarding end times in the Thessalonian church at the the time. And so Paul was coming back to his pastoral role and he was encouraging them with uh, the truth and and the fact that God's Word is the truth and everything in His Word is true and everything that, that God's Word says about your salvation is true and the future hope that we have is true. And so we, as we said last week, we should believe it first of all and then guard it or protect it and then practice it we don't want to get blown off course in this crazy world uh, that whatever ship you're on in life you know with all the storms and, and everything else we don't want to get blown off course because we are in Christ and he has a plan for us and he protects us and he guides our steps even though we make our own plans we know this proverb says he guides our steps now Today, Paul is going to begin his concluding remarks in the letter. You know, if you've read it, it's not a super long letter. And he's going to start with a, a very humble prayer request. And in this prayer request, he's going to... He's, first, he'll start off to say, pray for us. So he's, he's willing to, you know, talk about the relationship once again between the leadership of the church and the congregation. And he asked for prayer that the progress of the gospel would move forward and also for God's protection along the way and then he will challenge the Thessalonians to continue to trust God and strengthen the unity that they have in Christ. And so I'm just going to read the passage a short passage today verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. He says, "Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified." Just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will to do the things that we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. And into the patience of Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, we again thank you for giving us today your word. And we ask, Lord, that yes, we will. We'll will have an answer to Paul's prayer that we would uh, direct. You would direct our hearts into your love and into the patience of our time as we await for your return. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts this morning as only that you can. Guide our thoughts. Help us to take in the things that we need to be nourished by Your Word, to be washed and cleansed by Your truth. We, we ask and pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, Paul, as I said, he starts out as really a two, two parts of this message. First of all, he has a prayer request. And he's going to ask for progress and protection. Um, you know, when a leader uh, such as Paul is willing to admit his need, you know, sometimes we see these apostles, and uh, i got to say sometimes we see our leaders in the church as, uh, you know, something uh, other than human and not needing necessarily prayer. After all, you know, you're always spending time with God. But Paul, this great apostle, said, you know, I need prayer. And what he's doing in saying that is he's, he's showing leadership. You know, and it's been said, uh, famously said by John Maxwell that everything rises and falls on leadership. And a good part of the leadership of a person in, in authority, if you will, is their willingness to be humble and admit their need for prayer and their need for guidance. Um, and so Paul, he says, finally, brethren, pray for us. Now, he uses the word finally, but you guys know Paul, and you also know your pastor sometimes. When he says finally, he doesn't really mean finally, because he's just what he's doing is he's transitioning. And he's coming to another topic. And so he says, pray for us. Just by review, well, what is prayer? Well, the most basic definition of prayer is simply talking to God. Prayer is not meditation or passive reflection. It is direct ad- address to God. I mean, you know, He has given us the boldness to come to His throne of grace by his, by his sacrifice for us. And so we have a direct line with God. You don't have to go through an intermediary. It's the communication of the human soul with the Lord who created the soul. Prayer is the primary way for the believer in Jesus Christ to communicate his emotions and his desires with God and to fellowship with God. You guys already know that. We come before the Lord and we, just, we can tell Him everything. There is nothing we cannot say to God in our prayer time, in our private prayer time. Sometimes we have to use discretion how we pray publicly. But in our private time, in our prayer closets, there is nothing we can withhold. And He loves, He loves for us to pray. He loves for us to come before Him. One thing we've learned about the Apostle Paul is that he's a prayer warrior. We talk about prayer warriors, and there are many here today. Um, And to the degree that he lives and breathes two things that we all need to make progress. You say, how do I move forward in my faith in Christ? And the number one thing is prayer. And the second thing is just about as... Just as important is the Word of God. And those two things are what you and I need to grow in our faith. We come together on Sundays for an hour or two to encourage one another. But that leaves the entire rest of the week. All of our home life, all of our work life, all of our ups and downs in life. And so we need prayer. And we have access to that 24-7. When you survey the prayers in Paul's letters, you find... Prayers of thanksgiving. You go, what do I, sometimes we get so confused, what do I pray for? And so we take examples from, from Paul and from our Lord Jesus. You find prayers of thanksgiving for those uh, that he addressed his letters to. He thanks God for their faith, their love for one another, their endurance. These are things we pray for. God's outpouring of spiritual gifts he prayed for. Their understanding and their support. He prays for their salvation. He prays for wisdom. Paul prays for revelation, knowledge, and spiritual power. Those are the things that we pray for. He, he, he prays that he may get to see them again. You know, we, we enjoy our time together. We enjoy our fellowship. We enjoy when we can come together. We miss one another when we cannot gather. And he was separated by a lot of things. It was a difficult time in his life. Uh, He was isolated. He was down there in Corinth, and he was being, you know, prevented many times to go to the churches he wanted to go to. And as we see here today, Paul is, is requesting personal prayer. His personal needs are usually very specific. He, here today, is asking for rescue from unbelievers who seek to prevent him from doing God's will. He also prays for a need or thanksgiving for financial gifts for the church of Jerusalem. He prays for boldness to speak and to witness for Christ. I've heard that said many times as we ask for prayer here. He, he prays for open doors to share the gospel. And then finally, Paul frequently exhorts his recipients to be persistent, devoted, alert, and thankful. Interceding for those in authority, and that is a very difficult time thing for us, but it is so needed in our day. And of course, interceding for those that are in need. And we have our prayer chains, we have our ways to communicate the needs in the body, and we try to do that diligently. But he comes in and he's now he's going to, so he's, he's established that. Now he's, we're going to talk about the nature of the request. He is asking for progress of the gospel message, the word of the Lord. He says that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. Uh, King James Version says that it may have free course, that it may not be hindered. And he he's wants a free and rapid progress of the word of the Lord. And he's most likely been inspired because he was a man of the Bible. He was a Pharisee, of course. He knew God's Word. He knew the Old Testament. In Psalm 147.15, speaking of God, he says, He sends out His command to the earth. His Word runs very swiftly. Very swiftly. And so, the Lord's Word may run swiftly and be glorified. In other words, to make it renowned to render illustrious, to cause the dignity and the worth of something, in this case the Word of God, to become manifest and acknowledged by everybody. And oftentimes in our society and times in our lives, that that Word of God is pushed aside or or placed on the shelf. Not disrespected, so to speak. (coughs) But this is not just another book. The Word of the Lord is living and powerful. It changes lives. It brings people to salvation. It corrects us. It guides us. It cuts to the deepest parts of our hearts and our body and soul. And he says that it be glorified. And then he goes and he gives him another you know, pat on the back. He says, just as it is with you. Now, Paul, he sees them. Uh, we've used the term model church. A model church. Thessalonians are a model church because they respond the way they should respond to persecution. They don't give up. They don't quit. And so we ask the question, imagine what would happen if the Word of God ran unhindered just in all of our churches in our free society. Because we know that not all of our churches now these days are exalting God's Word. It's being held back and, and restricted in some cases. Or parts of it are being chosen and other parts are being discarded. But imagine if it ran unhindered in the churches of a free society such as ours. We know that the persecuted church in places such as China, the word of the Lord is very restricted. Yet it continues to move and go through the lives of people who are willing to sacrifice to be sent to prison. They are willing to commit entire books of the Bible to their own memory because they know they may not have access. They will take pieces of Scripture and they will treasure it because they love God's Word. And, you know, in a sense, you see, when the Lord is, is not, uh, his, his Word is coming true. When you say something like this, that Paul is praying that the Word of the Lord may run swiftly. And then also knowing what the Lord has said in Isaiah 55.11, for instance, He says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So if that's the case, why do we need to pray? If the Lord has already determined... That his word will prosper and that it will go in the way that he desires because when we ask that question now we step into God's will and God's sovereignty and we dare not question it in a negative sense because we don't understand it fully the effects of God's word on people we know that it either draws them to respond to his grace and mercy or they harden their hearts to reject it As he said later, not all have faith. But it doesn't ever take away our responsibility to sow the Word and to teach the Word. And we do this by taking His promise of faith and with prayer. The Apostle Paul saw no conflict between saying God is in control of everything, totally sovereign over everything, and that you and I should also pray. And so we just let it go. We, let it, we leave that with the Lord. We know that His Word's going to accomplish what it will, but we also know what our responsibility is. Amen? Amen. Notice, though, the primary request is not what we see in our world sometimes in today's modern church movements, it's not man made progress and promotion. Church programs, entertainment, and guided experiences. They, they are not the type of progress compared to getting the Word of God out into the hearts and minds of His people by teaching and preaching God's Word. Warren Wearsby, one of my favorite uh, uh, commentators, he said, Too much Christian work these days is accomplished by human plans and promotion and not by the Word of God. We trust our programs and do not publish the Word of God. The universe was created and is sustained by the Word of God. Surely His Word can accomplish His work in this world. But the preaching of the Word in the pulpit has too often been replaced by the entertainment of the world on the platform. He quotes uh, Dr. Donald Coggan, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, I don't know how long ago. But he said this of Christian pastors. It is their task to feed the sheep, not to entertain the goats. So. The nature of the request is also, Paul is asking for the protection. You know, His prayer request is, is very specific. He's asking for the protection of the gospel messengers. The workers of the Lord. That's what Paul is praying for. And he says, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. To be delivered is to be rescued, to be preserved from. We know Paul has been using this phrase all throughout the letters of Thessalonians. And he's using it in regards to the fact that the whole church will be rescued from the wrath of God. The whole church will be taken whether in the grave or alive at that time, before the great tribulation. And yes, we'll be rescued. But he's also saying here in the present that we may be delivered, be rescued from what? Well, from unreasonable. The unreasonable and wicked men. To be unreasonable is to be out of line, it's to be out of place. It is men and women capable of, capable of outrageous conduct. He also says from wicked men. Now, the word wicked uh, is often points directly to Satan, this ponderos, the evil, wicked, or bad. And there are those that are, as the NASB says, perverse and evil men. You see, Paul needed prayer as much as anyone needs prayer. His journey from city to city and town to town was difficult and often very lonely, it was full of persecution and toil. And he was writing his letter from Corinth. Now as he was writing it, if you wanted to know the present time, what was going on, you could read in Acts 18 the things he was going through there at Corinth, even though he spent a year and a half there. But he and his companions, um, Paul would speak in the synagogue every Sabbath. Every Sabbath when he came to Corinth. And he testifies that Jesus Christ is Messiah. Now if if you know anything about what that would be like, uh, maybe you've seen uh the, the show The Chosen and how these these Pharisees were, you know, how they, they portray their their anger and their and their you know their, their angst to anyone who would proclaim the gospel, especially Jesus Christ, in their midst. And they planned pretty quickly to have him put to death. Well the same thing was happening to Paul. He would go on the Sabbath, he would always go to the to Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And it says in Acts 18 that when he testified that Jesus Christ is the true Messiah, that they opposed him and they blasphemed. Now, this gets old after a while. You would you would have to believe that this would kind of wear on you after a while. If you if you were one uh, to do something, you know, come say you, you came to a place uh, it's hard to imagine, I suppose, but if you're going to a place, this is God's people, uh, you know, in the sense of the Jews and, and national Israel, if you will, and they're constantly spitting and coming against Him. In fact, that's what Christians in, encounter even today when they go over to Israel from from the Orthodox Jews. They will literally spit on them and curse them because they claim that Christ is Messiah. And so you got to have a special calling to be sent there. But you know, here he was. They opposed him and blasphemed him. So he's asking for prayer. He was even eventually hauled before the judgment seat, you know, put in a public place to be judged. Um, And and even throughout that, you know, if you read Acts 18, I don't want to go too far off on this. The Lord Himself encouraged Paul. I would encourage you just to go read that. If you're being discouraged in your calling and whatever the Lord has for you, go read that. Acts 18, verses 9 and 10. Because when he was writing to the Thessalonians, he was going through this persecution, if you will, mild persecution there in Corinth. He was being opposed. So he says, That we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. And then he says this For not all have faith. Not all have faith. Not everyone is a believer. Not everyone will be a believer. We don't know who will. We aren't the ones who choose who will be or not be believers. And one of the sad realities of the Christian life is that so many and so many of our dear friends and loved ones have no interest whatsoever in knowing about Jesus. They have no interest in talking about life after death. Somehow the culture has talked us into this idea that if you talk about your faith you're engaging somehow in politics or whatever. If you stand for things that are morally wrong in society, now you've become political. And it's just simply the fact that people just have no interest. And that is, that's very uh, disturbing, as you all know. And some are even hostile and actually come against the gospel. You know, you see the vandalism that takes place. You see, unfortunately, shootings. You know, Unfortunately, we have to have a safety team here at our church and like many churches. And that's why Paul calls them unreasonable and wicked. You have to be not only unreasonable, but wicked to want to go kill a bunch of people that are, p- are gathering peacefully in our free society. Years later, Paul would write to the church in Rome. He said in Romans 15, 31, again, that prayer that I may be delivered for those in Judea who do not believe. Now, when he was going to bring that offering back, uh, when he was going to go back to Jerusalem, he was going to encounter a lot of trouble. And he says, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So he was going to go back into the lion, the mouth of the lion, after converting from, uh, you know, being a, a Pharisee of Pharisees to a Christian sold out for Jesus when we think about the word of the Lord and, and the need for God's words as I was saying earlier in prayer um, you know there's a saying that goes around uh, not just the original to Calvary Chapel movement but Pastor Chuck was quoted as saying when people would ask him, why, you know, why are all these people coming to church during the Jesus uh, movement and the rapid growth that was taking place, and, and he would simply say, many times he would say, "Well, sheep begat sheep." In other words, you know, uh, we share in the belief that when God's word does the work in our lives, then God gets the glory. Because Chuck didn't have an answer; uh, he didn't know the secret sauce. You know, there's so many. There are continually. Books being published, and and I get them offered to me all the time about having this system of church growth and how it's supposed to work. And we've chosen not to go that route. You know, we want to make accommodation to the degree that we're welcoming to our, you know, we're relevant, we're welcoming to our culture here. But we still believe that you guys come to church on Sunday because we teach God's Word. That's why you come out. And that's why you invite your friends to come out. And so the Lord is the one who first of all gets the glory and He's the one who provides the increase. And so that's why we focus on feeding you His Word. After Jesus' resurrection, you guys are familiar with John's Gospel. It records the famous scene, right? Jesus began to restore Peter. Because remember, Peter had betrayed Him three times on the night that He was crucified. And I don't have a slide for this, but you you know the story. It kind of goes to John 21. It says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love Me more than these? And He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And He said, Well, then feed My lambs. And then he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He knew he knew Peter, okay? Sometimes the Lord, He just knows our hard head, right? Simon, son of Peter, do you love me? Yes. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Actually, it was Simon, son of Jonah. And then he said to him a third, or after he said that, after Peter's response, he said, Tend my sheep. So feed my lambs, tend my sheep. And then on verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so Peter would go on to preach the gospel and he would have a ministry of bringing God's word to God's people and to the world around him. And that call has not changed. That's not only my job, it's also your job. But as the pastor of the church, as a leader, again, this is sort of Paul's framework here. He's talking about the relationship between leaders and and congregants, if you will. My job is simply to do what God has called me to do and that is to feed you guys god's word and i get fed at the same time as well by the way it's not like oh i have it all i feed you and you know i don't need to eat no it's not like that at all (laughs) somebody has said this he said the christian leader is also the feeder and the nourisher of the sheep and the ultimate sheep food is the word of god just as the shepherd leads his flock by the most lush pastures, so they will grow and flourish, and we read uh, Psalm 23 this morning, so the Christian leader nourishes his flock with only food, with the only food that will produce strong and vibrant Christians. There is nothing we can give you, no motivational speaking, no special books, no special study that can give you what the Word of God gives you and makes you strong and vibrant the Bible, not psychology or man's world's wisdom is the only diet that can produce healthy Christians Amen. healthy Christians yes. because man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord Amen. you know I know pastors that, that have a continuous um, counseling appointments they, they are continually counseling and that's not a bad thing Um, You know, it it does take up a lot of time, but they're continually having to meet with people in council. And I would say that that is available to you if you want to meet with me or Pastor John. We will be we make ourselves available to you. But sometimes uh, churches that are in places where you have a lot of new believers, a lot lot of new believers, a lot of young Christians, or there's a lot of crime and poverty and things that are happening in those particular communities, yes, you're going to have a big rise in counseling and the need for counseling. But sometimes in churches the need for counseling is simply because the people aren't being fed God's word. You know, you, I think the reason why it's not happening as much here is because you guys are being nourished by God's Word. You realize the source of your strength. You realize what helps you to be healthy in the Lord. Yes, we're all going through difficult times at, from time to time. But I, you know, I'm thankful to the Lord at my age, taking over a church at my age. I'm thankful that He has seen, shown His grace in that regard. But I want to say that, you, yes, counseling is available. And we see it happening all the time. It's not just me. One-on-one, prayer, you know, discipleship. That's all taking place organically. And that's how it should be because it's healthy. Pauls expressed the need to pray for deliverance from those who come against the work of the Lord. Even Christians, and this is where it can be very difficult, even Christians can be used by the enemy to hinder and oppose the work of God. How do we know that? Well, after Jesus began to declare to his disciples that he was bound for suffering and crucifixion. Remember, they thought, oh, he's coming to you know, he's going to go to Jerusalem and just blast the Romans, take over the you know, the fair, the, the Sanhedrin and he's going to rule by a rod of iron. They had they had it wrong about the future prophecy of what Christ will do when he returns a second time. And they didn't, you know, they start when Jesus started telling the apostles and the disciples, "No, I'm going there. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be hung on a cross, uh, and then I'm going to rise on the third day." They're like, no, nah, we, we don't want to hear that kind of talk, Lord. We're not, we're not hearing that." That that went in one ear and out the other most of the time. And he continued to explain it to them. But after, of course, uh, he explained this. Um, Peter, again, came into the picture and pushed back. Matthew 16, 22 and 23. And then Peter decides he's going to counsel God. You know, that's, that's something we have. a Sometimes a, a, we, we think we can do that. We can, we can straighten God out. And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him, saying, Far be it from You, Lord, that this shall not happen to You. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And so that's what happens sometimes. The word of the Lord can be hindered. The enemy can... He loves to use Christians to come against other Christians. He loves to see Christians fight. He loves to work his schemes and his tricks among us. And so my question to you is, what about a praying church? And we are a praying church. I know the prayer. I attend the men's prayer. I know the ladies are very powerful in prayer. I know many of you spend many uh, days of the week praying. I know that happens. And I would just challenge you and ask you, you know, the question, what if we committed to praying for your pastors and your leadership and your services and for all the servants every single day? What if you put that as, as something you do? Do you believe God hears your prayers? Do you believe He answers prayers? Do you believe God will sit still when He receives genuine and sincere prayer that His will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? That's my challenge to you and to me, that we continue that our prayers for one another and the supplications for our leaders and our families would increase. Part 2 of today's message, we see uh, verses 3-5. through we see the Lord is faithful and He will also enable you to do your part. And He begins to shift from the pastor's side of things and responsibilities to the responsibilities of the flock. He says, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Now, he's earlier He said, I pray for protection from the evil one. And then he, then he quickly says, but the Lord is faithful. And this is important for us because oftentimes we say, well, I'm praying, but I keep getting attacked. There keeps, there keeps being problems in my life. These situations keep mounting in my, my life in these circumstances. And I'm asking the Lord to protect me, but it doesn't seem to be working. Well, he quickly says that the Lord is faithful and He will establish us and He will guard us from the evil one. You know, when we, you and I, not just pastors, but when you and I proclaim God's faithfulness through the foundational truth of the Scriptures, we know that God is trustworthy. And we know that here's what He will do. He will establish and protect us from the enemy. How do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us many times. On Wednesday night, we were going through the book of Numbers, and we were in chapter 22. And chapter 22 has that famous story of the occult prophet Balaam, and how God protected Israel behind the scenes. And so for four chapters in Numbers, you get a narrative from the Lord to Moses uh, that he wrote down later, okay, that explained how all this stuff was going on behind the scenes. The people of Israel, they were just they were ready to enter the promised land. They were up in the plains of Moab across from Jericho. And this prophet and this King Balak were, were you know scheming, and this king wanted them to have a curse placed on them, because he knew he couldn't beat them in a military sense. He saw how powerful God's people were with God behind them. They acknowledged God as being real. And so in that culture, they believed there were gods for every country. And this famous occult prophet, Balaam, uh, is a dialogue that goes on. If you want to join us on Wednesday night, we'll be continuing in chapter 23. There's a dialogue that goes on between God and this false prophet. And all through, he prevents this guy from proclaiming a curse and allowing anything bad to happen to the nation Israel. Now, if you're a Bible student, you know, but yeah, but by the time we get to chapter 25, he finally is able to lead him astray. But that's because they were given over to their temptation. But during this time, my point is this. If you were to roll back the curtain on all that happens in the spiritual realm, that it was meant for harm to you or to your family, and you could see it, and then realize just how God has protected you through it, it would blow your mind. David Guzik said, God promised to keep Satan on a leash, and He will not allow any temptation to become too, too great for us, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and not, He will not allow Satan to do whatever he wants to do to us. So God is faithful, And He will guard and protect you even though when you see or you're unaware of what's going on or you see circumstances that are taking place. And with that, He says in verse 4, and now we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things that we command you. So because God is faithful, now He says we have confidence. We trust in the Lord. And this is not self-confidence. This is trusting in the Lord concerning you. One writer put it this way. He says, yes, Paul and Silas and Timothy could do their part in proclaiming the right doctrine and promoting right living. But ultimately the Thessalonian believers needed to turn to the Lord as their good shepherd. God is the shepherd who walks with them through the valley of the shadow of death. We read that psalm this morning. Who comforts his people by his rod and his staff and who provides for them abundantly. And in the presence of their enemies, again, he Even in the presence of our enemies, the Lord is protecting us and guiding us. While the devil roams around the earth seeking somebody to devour, believers can resist him by trusting in God alone to perfect, confirm, and strengthen, and establish us. And then he says, going through that, he says that you do and you will do the things we command you. Now he's using a military term. But he's doing what God has called him to do. Jesus, in the Great Commission, he said, Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But also, the other command for that, we remember that part, but the teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And so that's why we we have the Bible and we see, uh, you know, in the relationship we have with Jesus we're reminded that there are do's and don'ts, okay? There's not, it's not like you can do whatever you want. We are led by the Spirit. And so as we go through the Word of God, we see what He has commanded us to do. And as leaders, again, apostles, um, they were developing the Scriptures. They were receiving revelation from the Lord and writing it down. And here He was too. It wasn't like He was a commanding officer over them in a military sense. He's just carrying out the the great commission now none of this can happen none of this you know these things that are being described here without cooperation and mutual respect and love you know let's not forget the, the most important thing it's not like we have this sort of business arrangement in a church right you do your part and I'll do my part it has to be done in love and it is true that I, sh- I have a role to play, but you also, each and every one of you has a role to play, and your part. And that needs to be understood from his perspective. Ephesians 4:11 and 12, to him uh, and he himself, God himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So that's God has given that. But mutual respect fosters cooperation. When we apply God's standards, you know we have to. We've said this before. Um, Paul, First Peter five. Uh, this is a bit of a review because it keeps coming back because it keeps being needed to be said. Apparently, not necessarily here, but all of us in general. The elders who are among you, I absor- exhort. I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Finally, in today's uh, passage, verse 5, he says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into two things the love of God, and into the patience of Christ. To be directed is to be made straight, is to be guided, is to have the hindrances removed. This is a prayer that we should pray for one another, that whatever hindrances that the enemy tries to pile in front of us or circumstances in life, that that would be removed, and that we would have our hearts directed into the love of God, receiving soft hearts before God. Not angry, not bitter, not disappointed that we didn't get things, things didn't work out our way. We should know that our own selfish and sometimes wicked tendencies that still reside within us try to direct us on our own path. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 is a good prayer that David prayed. He said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. So being directed by God, our hearts soft before God, brings us into the love of God. Agape. Think about what it means for you and I to be in love with our Creator, in love with God. As the Lord pours His love into us. Romans 5.5 5. He does so much. He's such the initiator in all the things that we do unto Him. We learn to appreciate Him and others much more, don't we? And we also need to keep in mind the importance of staying close to Him. Because we don't want to misplace our affections. And that's so easily. We are like sheep, okay? We will wander towards the wrong things. And in the patience of Christ. Our patience is waiting for Jesus' return. Not just sitting and waiting, but being active for Him. Abiding in Him. Being led by Him. But we still need patience. And Paul's now praying for these things to be joined together. This love of God and our patience in Christ. Chuck Swindoll said it this way, True perseverance, that has God as its source, levels out the mountain-to-valley emotional extremes that we would typically experience when left to ourselves. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, some of us go high, really high, and really low. There are reasons for that. There could be, you know, issues with, with the need for uh, struggling with depression. Yes. But oftentimes, do you realize as you you walk with the Lord and as you really press into Him on a consistent basis that you don't have a bunch of really highs and lows in your life? You think, well, that's boring. Well, I'd rather have it that way sometimes. God's Spirit, he writes, teaches us to trust and obey whether we feel like it or not. Now that we all experience. Trust and obey whether you feel like it in the face of the most daunting obstacles. I've seen some of you go through some stuff that nobody wants to go through. And you seem to be level. You seem to be on solid ground despite that. Only because of God. Only because of what he writes is a supernatural determination to endure for Christ the cultivation of a spirit-empowered love for God, cooperation with God-given leadership, and the divine protection from attacks, both from shepherds and flocks. And if we do that, we'll be held together even with the nastiest of wolves try to tear us apart. Amen? Amen. Let me close by saying this. I, I, I thank God that each of you For the blessing it is of being a leader, and this is not a goodbye uh, speech, okay? But for the blessing that it is of leading a congregation of of Christ followers, you are a congregation of Christ followers. You're not just churchgoers. And that really blesses my heart. And I know it blesses you as well. We're going to have our bumps along the way. We've had them and we will have them again. But unreasonable and wicked is not in my vocabulary. Not in the least. And I thank the Lord for that. Amen. Jesus. Amen. As uh, Chris and Bethany are going and Clumpen lead us in the final song, I just want to recap four, four things if you're taking notes. Uh, I think this is good. We have a handout that goes with this as well. Um, but uh, the first thing... To remember is that pastors and churches must commit to praying for one another. The second thing is pastors and congregations must agree on the essentials. You know, we have different views on certain theological matters here within our church, but they're not divisive issues, and we never want to let them be divisive issues. The third thing is. And we see this, and I would encourage it because it can always increase. We can always use more help, in other words. Pastors and congregations must be involved in the ministry together. We've got to do this together. It cannot be 10%, just 20%. We've got to do this together. And finally, as pastors, as leaders, as members of our church, calling Calvary Chapel your home church, we must acknowledge our need before the Lord and to one another. I'd encourage you to come to the ladies' prayer. If not, send your prayer requests in. I'd encourage you, men. Every two weeks we meet at six o'clock right here on Tuesdays. Every two weeks, I would encourage you to come out so that we can, you know, acknowledge our need before one another and pray for one another. Amen. Uh, before we close with a song, I, I just ask: Let's just bow our heads. And let's just pray uh, the, the prayer of blessing from Numbers 6.24. We can bring the lights down if you would like. The Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you, Lord, for guiding and protecting us from the evil one and promising that nothing can separate us from your love. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. Thank you, Lord, for your divine favor that brings your loving response to our genuine needs and prayers. And be gracious to you. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied to our salvation, delivering us from sin and death. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you. Thank you, Father, for turning your face towards us as we seek to walk by faith. And give you peace. Thank you, Lord, for the peace we have with you in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go before us now, Lord. Guide our steps. Draw us to the love of Jesus Christ and the patience, Lord, that we need each and every day. Thank you, Lord, for all your goodness. For your love. Go before us now. We pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people say, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.